0: So I'm sure with all of the uh, impeachment talk um, that's uh, that's been happening uh, again, and of course we've all forgotten about Iran and Iraq and all of that uh, mess that happened at the beginning of the year, um, what kind of went unnoticed, I think, uh, by a lot of us was the fact that we have a new trade deal with China, or at least phase one of a new trade deal with China. And this is not something that I think we can take as something to just be, you know, swept under the rug because impeachment is more important. I actually think it should be flipped. Um, this this whole impeachment thing is just a a, a political spat. It's, you know, if, if you're really on the left, you're going to say that, of course, Trump is guilty. They need to get rid of him. And if you're on the right, of course, you're going to say that uh, he did nothing wrong and, you know, he shouldn't be impeached. And uh, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of impeachable evidence there. Another topic for another day. Regardless, I think what's really interesting to take away from the trade deal is, is a few things. Some macro things and then some micro things. So the first uh, macro issue, we'll start big and then and then go small. I just think it's easier for the mind to get around. It's a more uh, logical approach. Regardless, the bigger thing here is to see the difference in how the U.S. negotiates. I actually think that this is the start of what could be if we allow ourselves, if we distance ourselves from the moment. So essentially, if we distance ourselves from uh, Trump and and his uh, personality, because, of course, right now, you have almost 50% of the country that, that who didn't vote for him, who, um, you know, would not accept the the unveiling of a, a, a Trumpian philosophy, but I think much like uh, Reagan and how he dealt with uh, foreign uh, foreign powers, or even like Teddy Roosevelt um, and some of our greater presidents in the past, um, I think that's a more effective way of dealing with people who, you know, we have philosophical de- disagreements with China. And I know, you know, we're going to try to paint the left as as... Being uh, uh, communist or or supporting the Chinese, and other than you know those on the on the radical left, um, you know I don't think that they're <laughs> I don't think they support the Chinese. It's the same thing with you know you can't say that uh, all right wingers support uh, Nazis because there are a couple radicals who call themselves right right wingers. That's um, that you know that either take is ridiculous. My point here is though when you have a country that's philosophy is one of taking. you, And I think Trump has shown us that you really have to leverage the cards that you have. You can't come at it as um, an appeaser. And not to say that the alternative is bad, but I think you see two very different um, negotiating tactics really displayed with the the contrast between our last two presidents. And you can see the trade-off between both philosophies. You have Obama, who is more willing to supplicate and not use the power of the United States to extend the hand first. And this has been a tactic that's been used by a lot of uh, people who are considered great negotiators. So, you have uh, uh, Neville Chamberlain was famous with this. And what this does is it brings your allies closer to you. So, uh, for instance, you can see the difference with Obama over in Europe. Uh, The Spanish people liked him a lot. Uh, Notoriously, there was a a poll done there where his approval rating was, I think, a 78% or something like that. Uh, The French liked him. The the Germans liked him. People who saw themselves as U.S. allies... We're drawn closer to the U.S., but people who saw us as enemies saw us as weak because their philosophy here is if you're going to appease, that means you're weak, and so we're going to take. On the flip side, you have uh, Trump, who is more willing to leverage the cards that he has, so he'll take a position of strength and maximize that to force the other side into a less favorable deal, that instead of looking for a win-win, he's looking more so for a win for his side and just wants to make sure that you win enough so that you stay at the table, uh, so to speak. So this helps against people who see us as adversaries in the sense that they're more willing to back down. If they see the U.S. as being strong and willing to strike back, then they're less willing to be aggressive and provoke us. But on the flip side, people who see us as allies will kind of shrink away a little bit. Minus the United Kingdom, because I think um, I think Boris Johnson has a great respect for Trump. He actually kind of looks like Trump. Um, minus the UK, you know, you've got uh, a couple polls out that say that, you know, the Germans aren't really fond of Trump, and the French really aren't fond of Trump. And this is kind of the the, the flip between you have between the, the, the two sides. Historically speaking, uh, whether or not you view one side favorably really, I think, comes down to, um, you know, personally, are you more hawkish or are you more of a dove? Being hawkish means that you don't want to send people to war, but you're not willing to back down should it come to that you're more willing to rattle the saber and a lot of these policies got us into world war one famously and if you're more dovish we actually see that uh 20 years after world war one with neville chamberlain where he had a doctrine which was called peace at all costs which meant you're going to appease first so hitler someone who was actively anticipating a war now they thought the war was going to start in 45 not end in 45, but um, you have someone like Hitler who says, well, if you're just going to give me, if you're going to give me the Rhineland, if you're going to give me Austria, if you're going to give me the Sudetenland, if you're going to give me, uh, you know, land in, in Lithuania, I'm going to take it. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to let me rearm, if you're going to let me just disregard the Versailles Treaty, I'm going to take it, because Hitler thought, Hitler was a wacko anyways, But but his thinking was, oh, well, you're weak, I'm strong, so it's my duty to take advantage of you. And I'm not comparing any current regime to uh, the horrors of Nazi Germany or anything like that. But I think it's the most readily available um, historical regime that you could point to to say, at least in some of his philosophy, you know, they see strength as the only measure of of uh, whether or not they're w- willing to work with you uh, favorably. So we see Trump in this deal being able to take advantage of that through tariffs and in some cases through sanctions, depending on who he's working with. Secondly, and I think what is also pretty uh, important to come out of this is the fact that the U.S. dollar really does kind of run the world here. Um, It's it's funny, there was a recent uh, Air France um, recently did a a pretty large... a deal over there in in, in Europe, um, worth about 60 million U.S. dollars, and the company they were doing business with was this is actually a couple of months ago, so I'm not familiar with with all the specifics. Regardless, that 60 million was negotiated in U.S. dollars. This is between two European countries. You have, again, this trade deal where China is buying uh, a lot of our agricultural products now. That makes a little bit more sense why it's in, done in U.S. dollars, but but China would rather receive, in some of the reciprocal stuff, they, they are receiving uh, U.S. dollars. So the U.S. dollar is really measured as and sought after as as the most stable currency. Of course, you know Zimbabwe uses the U.S. dollar as their own currency, so it has been substituted in some areas. This gives uh, the Federal Reserve a lot more power than we would normally think. Although, of course, running the world's number one economy gives plenty of power uh, by itself. And there'll be more on the Federal Reserve that we'll talk about uh, later as as the topics come up. But this is a reminder at just how important it is for the U.S. economy to do well, because the rest of the world is relying on it. And I think this is actually good uh, more on a personal level for the rest of Americans. So number three, um, I think You'll see a lot of people talking about the the coming rise in uh, the Dow Jones. I think the market's going to do very well here coming out in the next couple months, and it would only make sense. You've got a lot of uh, commerce being done in some uh, some of the sectors highlighted in the, the in the China deal, but there is one catch to that, and that's this impeachment deal. Uncertainty always slows down the market. Um, and though I think the president will not be impeached by the Senate, at minus maybe what Mitt Romney um, can disrupt and his little uh, gang there that's formed and actually gone on to support witnesses, um, and there are a million other videos on that. This video is not necessarily on impeachment, but this context creates some uncertainty in the market, and that's slowed down what I think a lot of us would normally see as growth. Regardless, I think you're going to see the continued trend of the the market going up, and that should generally equate to more dollars in savings accounts. Of course, not in bank savings accounts, because if you got one that gives you a tenth of a percent, you're doing well. Another topic for another day. Finally, number four here, um, and our final takeaway is this is part of the problem when we diversify inside of uh, money accounts. So you have uh, you have mutual funds and you have uh, inside uh, some investment funds where, and it makes sense to, to diversify because you do protect yourself uh, in the event of a crash. So it is taking a little bit of a safer position. But the flip side is when you do have the jump in the market like this that we're going to see and once we get through this impeachment stuff, you're probably going to see the market jump uh, again. The problem is you're not going to get all of the growth of that. So you're not going to directly see that in your account because you may only have a certain percentage of money in the industries that have been highlighted by this deal and those are going to be most affected by this deal. But I think uh, coming down the road, Trump did say that you know he had met with a couple of uh, CEOs about... Um, uh, about moving companies back here, and I think you'll see those go into lower tax states. So again, I do think there's a lot of positive things coming, but I would be worried just because you see a lot of the um, a lot of diver- diversification, and uh, in some cases maybe too much. So that's our four big takeaways from the China trade deal. Again, it's something I don't think is being covered much by the media, and it's it's a little bit of a shame. I'm not expecting them to take away these four things, but to hear uh, experts talk about. Uh, this deal i think um, would at least be fascinating and some food for thought but again it's going to be hard to to extract politics out of this